Welcome to The Backstory, a podcast from Otis where we talk to cultural figures, creators, collectors, and artists about the things that motivate them. I'm Sean Williams. I am obsessed with sneakers. I'm an exhibition curator from Brooklyn, New York City, and I'm here with my man, Dan. Hey, what's up? I am Dan McQuaid. I am from Philadelphia, as I will tell you when I meet you, and I am an editor at Defector. And yeah, things are good today. Yep, yep. And our esteemed guest, we will allow him to introduce himself. Mm. Please, by all means. Hi, uh, my name is Abraham Reisman. Um, I'm a journalist. Uh, I uh, have written one book that's coming out in February, and I'm working on a second book and writing articles in between. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So... As you know, here on The Backstory, we talk to all of our esteemed guests about that one thing that they are a connoisseur of and motivates and inspires them to no end. And for you, our understanding is it is the movie Children of Men. Sure, yeah. Um, I I find a lot of uh, interesting stuff every time I think about or watch Children of Men. Um, it's, uh, a movie I'm very passionate about. And, um, I guess you could say, yeah, it, it, it's something that has, uh, motivated me to think more critically about culture and politics. And yeah, I, I guess you could say that. So what I found intriguing about it, and I'm sure Dan, in your research about the film, you, you found the same is there, there's a lot of critical acclaim about this movie when you've done your research, as I'm sure you've seen, and I have, Dan. And yes. this was not, by, by Hollywood standards, a successful movie, yet we are having a full-on conversation about the wonders of this movie and its relevance today. So talk about that a bit. Uh, yeah. So, yes, it's a, it's a movie that um, was released in 2006. Um, Day after Christmas, I believe, and uh, it was hard to market. Let's say that um, it was difficult to figure out how to make this premise, which we can get to in a moment, um, legible to a mass audience and make it interesting, but also not and not make it chintzy and also be accurate without giving away too much about the plot and basically very few people ended up seeing this movie. The, the ad campaign was, was botched and, you know, the biggest name character in the uh, biggest name actor in the movie um, dies 28 minutes in, you know, like there was, there, there were so many things working against this as a marketable product. And yet, <laughs> and yet the people who saw it, um, you know, I've yet to meet a single person who can talk about seeing children of men and walking away, disliking it. And, and most people that I speak to who talk, I mean, this is anecdotal, obviously, but most people who I talk to who have seen Children of Men walk away with a real um, uh, enthusiasm for it. And I was one of those people. I saw it on New Year's Day, uh, about a week after it came out. Um, I had gone to a local movie theater in Chicago, Illinois. I'm, I'm from a suburb of Chicago. Um, and I was there with some friends. We were going to go see, uh, I believe, Letters from Iwo Jima. Um, which was also out that year, and uh, they were sold out. So we had to go see something else. And 
we knew nothing about children of men because it had been marketed so poorly and without a whole lot of market penetration. All we knew was that Clive Owen was in it and we all liked Clive Owen. I don't even remember how I liked Clive Owen. Maybe I'd seen him in uh, the Sin City movie or something, but I, I had a lot of enthusiasm in some way for him. So it was like, okay, let's, let's give it a shot. So we saw it and it was one of the most profound experiences, not just movie going, but just experiences period of my life. I mean, I, I was so deeply moved by the experience of being able to watch this story unfold on screen in a theater uh, without any foreknowledge of anything that was going to happen. I mean, you, you can't recreate something like that. That's a once in a lifetime moment of engaging with a piece of art. And, yeah. you know, I haven't thought about it. I haven't uh, forgotten about it since. Yeah, you went in totally blind, it sounds like. And yeah, as, I knew nothing, as, yeah. As, as many folks, I assume, have when they went to see it, considering the botched marketing, as you said. Yeah, exactly. I can't believe it was released as a Christmas movie. Like, you know, like Letters Letters from Iwo Jima, the movie that was sold out. That sounds like a movie that comes out at Christmas. Some like, sure. you know, war-related epic that also has some, you know, uh, award show, you know, possibility. Um, and like, I get it that like Children of Men is is really good. So I get why it was like a late December release. You know, they they, they did probably did think it could you know, uh, be up for some awards. And, and I know it was up for a few Oscars, um, but it just seems so strange that it's like it opened on on Christmas Day, this sort of dystopian sci-fi epic that's even sad for that type of movie. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's the nativity in some ways, so I guess it's appropriate that it came. It's how it began the article I wrote about it. Against my will, that was my editor's idea. He was like, you should acknowledge that it's like around Christmas and it's a nativity story. And I was like, oh, it's too good. I have to use it, I guess. But uh, <laughs> it's a good idea. I'm Jewish, so I try not to uh, get too too Christian in my work. And I'm, I'm kidding. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned the botch marketing. And, you know, this, I guess that kind of lent itself to you um, going in with, a, a full open mind about it. So you probably more than most people absorbed more of this movie's good attributes than most. Mm -hmm. what, yeah. what would you say are some of the things that you still have with you to this day, impressionably, impressionably about the film? Like what, what kinds of influences did it have on me? You mean? Yeah. Um, I would say it, for one thing, it kind of gave me a new benchmark for how good, filmmaking could be and that's a blessing and a curse it's wonderful in that it kind of expanded my horizons and made me wonder well what else is there that feels like this and that branched off into various uh, aesthetic adventures but there's also the aspect of just um you know well let me let me let me start again the i would say the the biggest influence is probably more of a political one um, you know, I, I've, I've really been inspired by the ideas that are present in that movie. Um, I, I really find myself fixated on the fact that this movie kind of predicted where we were going to be at. I know that's a, it's a simplistic thing to say, obviously, but when it comes to the refugee crisis, to environmental decay, having, you know, sudden catastrophic effects, um, Police state, police state, uh, closed borders, you know, all of this stuff. It, it was 
enormously prescient. Um, but also, as Alfonso Cuaron told me for the article I wrote about this, um, you know, he didn't see it as predicting the future because he was paying attention and seeing that all those things were all present in 2006 when it came out or, you know, before that when he was conceiving of uh, his take on the movie. And, um, you know, so if you're paying attention, the future's already here, you know. And it was... Uh, the politics of that movie have really stuck with me. I've seen, excuse me, as things have progressed with the ongoing climate and refugee crises, I, I find myself finding a moral compass thinking about, okay, well, <clears throat> how would I approach this from a frame of reference like children of men? And then to get back to my original point, um, you know, there's the aspect of feeling like I, I feel like my horizons have been expanded for, for movies, but also it means very few movies can live up to that experience. You know, I have this, like this benchmark that makes me forever clutching to try and get that feeling again. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Did it raise your standards for um, movie watching in certain respects? So, oh, yeah. yeah, I could see how I could see how it would do that. Absolutely. And, you know, in, in, in doing the research on it and reading Roger Ebert's review, one of the things that stood out the most to me about his review was, and I would have never expected that, was he gave ridiculously high praise for the set design. Mm -hmm. The set design's terrific. Yeah, the production uh, is so unbelievably detailed. Um, every single frame has some kind of story to tell about the story that you're watching. You know, there's all this world building that happens only in the frame uh, on the sides, you know, in the periphery. You have all of these character traits that we're supposed to infer just based on impressions that pop up. And some of those impressions are, are visual, you know, they're, they're visual cues, be it the kind of place that someone lives in or, um, you know, the uh, physical, not just the physical space, but like the way they dress themselves. I mean, all, all of these visual cues, as well as audio clues, uh, the sound design's terrific. Um, you know, all of that contributes to your experience of diving into this world. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that's hard to pull off, you know, to be able to, to, to have production design that can tell that kind of story. Yeah, well, I mean, considering the budget they had, I would figure it would have been more, you know, expensive to make considering the, the effects that it had on people. Well, yes, yes. I thought you were going to say the effects, because the thing is, the special effects actually were, were fascinating in that they, um, it was virtually no CGI. It's it's almost entirely practical effects, very little visual trickery. Of course, there's a little bit, no movie is completely devoid of that, especially as of the new millennium, but like, for the most part, the stuff that you see that's most impressive, at least as far as I've read and heard from testimonies of people who worked on the movie, that's all practical effects. And um, some of it, I mean, you can read about this in the article I wrote back in 2006, uh, sorry, 2016, um, but uh, those stories are really fascinating of how they made those shots happen um, and doing it, as you alluded to, on a budget, you know? Yeah. And, and surprisingly, you know, it only made half of what it, what it cost to produce, but the effects have been far past, I guess, yeah, what yeah, was yeah. spent. Yeah. Dan, you were about to say something? Yeah. One thing, um, one thing I, I did read your, I reread your, your 2016 uh, article about it. 
One one thing I I found very interesting is after you saw it the first time, you went back to see it oh, a yeah. bunch of a bunch more times, and I feel like that's not something I've done to a movie since I was like I don't know like sixteen. Like, yeah. and that was basically because like, it was either that or like hang out in like a Wawa parking lot, um, <laughs> you know, like this or, or a yeah, diner yeah. or, or, or whatever, you know, there just weren't that many things to do for, for teenagers. Uh, mm -hmm. what, what made you continue to, to go back to it? Like right away? I think, I mean, it's, it was purely hedonistic. I just, the, the adrenaline and dopamine rush that I got from watching it that first time I wanted to recreate. I just wanted to, you know, it, was, it wasn't the most high-minded thing. It was not like, oh, well, I have to solve the puzzle of this movie. It was like, I want to feel that feeling again. So I just kept seeing it to try and recreate that. And it's never been the same as that first time, but every time it electrifies me. I mean, I, I can't get enough of the experience of uh, consuming these these images, these sounds, these performances. It's It's just... I know I sound crazy right now, but it's it's really it's really a, a tremendous piece of work, I think. No, you don't sound crazy at all. We all have <laughs> we all have guess, a movie or a piece of music or something I, where it grips us like that. Where you're just like, yeah, it's perfect. There's nothing I can change, you know. I um I another thing, you know, obviously you say it's influenced you. It's influenced you. Politically, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, is a way to phrase it. But, you know, obviously that doesn't happen unless the film is also, you know, particularly well made. And mm. uh, one of the things that's very cool about this movie is it's it's long takes. Yes. Um, I'm a I'm a big long, long take fan. Uh, Me too. I, there's it's, a a, it's a cheap thing to do on some level artistically. And people are like, oh, uh, the era of the long take is, you know, it's become cliched. But I'm still such uh, a mark for. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, obviously like like. Goodfellas is like an, an iconic one and um, sure. uh, Boogie Nights. Um, there's a movie called Russian Ark. That's just one 96 minute long take. Uh, wow. That's, there's, that's, there's the there's the one in uh, True Detective season one. Oh, yeah, yeah, one? yeah. Um, my my favorite one is in a movie called Snake Eyes, which oh, is not a not a particularly great film. Um, it's no, like it it's <laughs> the, the script is just it's one of the few movies set in Atlantic City, which is kind of weird. I feel like that's yeah, like should be a that, good setting yeah. for movies. Um, but it's like the premise of the film is that like there's a hurricane headed for Atlantic City and yet they're still holding the like heavyweight title fight there uh, that same night. Um, and, but but the 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 movie is not that great. Um, mm. But the 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 long take that opens the film i i looked it up beforehand it's it's a 17 minute shot there's actually one 12 wow. minute take in the middle of it um yeah. so so that the, there's some you know fake cuts and some swoops sure. but it's like a it's a steady camp's shot following nick cage as he's like a corrupt atlantic city cop going around the casino and what's what's really cool about it is there's a lots of like if you watch it again, you're like, oh, it's it's kind of spoiling the whole movie for what like what the plot is going to happen in the film. Um, right. Obviously, you wouldn't notice it the first time, but it's and it, the 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 one that I really like in Children of Men is the the scene in the car. Um, yeah, with with where uh, Julianne Moore's character that gets gets killed and they're they're like you know being 
they're going, they're driving and then they're being chased. When I first saw the movie, it reminded me of like a scene in Resident Evil 4, the video game. Um, <laughs> Go on. Which is, there's a scene, you know, it's not even that similar, but like there's a scene where you're you're in like a tight space and you have to like escape or fight all these, uh, they're, they're not zombies in that one. They're like sort of zombies. Uh, and you know, there's like a car chasing you and it's just, it's, it's not that similar, but it's just the, the sort of, you know, the, the Resident Evil games are, are, you know, do sort of scare you or, you know, a good Mm -hmm. video game makes you feel like intense. And I feel like I got that from that children of men scene. Like you feel like you're almost in the car with them. Uh, and it's, you know, and I, I read your, your article. If you want to talk sort of a little bit about how they did that. Yeah, it's, sure. It's just I very, mean, very cool. You know, they built this rig, uh, they called the doggy cam, um, that is hard to describe. You sort of have to see it. The way I described it in the article was it's like uh Optimus Prime outfitted by Mad Max, which I was very I hadn't thought <laughs> about that line in four years until I looked at it in preparation for this. And I was like, you know what, that was a good line. I I'm proud of myself for that one. Um, but it became this weird car type thing where they were, you were, it was built on a car, but it looked like some other kind of beast and it involved a camera on a 360 swivel pole, um, that was jammed through the top of the car and into the interior. And, um, although the camera was as small as they could get it, it was still pretty enormous. So all of the actors who were in the car and it's a full car, basically, um they no it's a full car totally yeah it's five people in there um they had to learn choreography for two days so they could duck in the right timing and not get hit by the camera as it was swiveling around during the shot and it's a long shot you really have to memorize a lot of choreography to make sure you don't get bopped in the head um and it's worth it i mean dan's exactly right it's a very claustrophobic and intimate scene and uh, both emotionally and and in terms of the effects and the the action, um, and yeah, it's a real triumph that that was able to be able to be made. That scene alone is probably the reason why it rated so high on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, yeah, people like it. Well, that's the thing about the movie, though, is that it's um, you know it works as an action movie. Uh, it's astounding. It's this it's this extremely ambitious political subtle uh nuanced film but it's also just you can watch it and just enjoy it for the seat of your pants thrill ride that it also is uh you know it's very hard to pull that kind of simultaneous energy off yeah it it sounds like it (laughs) and 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 we're furthering the point (laughs) totally any any filmmakers who are going to be listening to us talk about this movie the bar has been raised yeah. <laughs> How did you feel when, you know, you obviously sort of were into this movie from the start. How did you feel when you started to see it? Obviously it was critically acclaimed at the time, but it's, it's, uh, its reputation has certainly grown in the, you know, 14 years since it's been released. How did you feel when it started seeming like, oh, everyone really, this film had an effect on not just me. Uh, I mean, I, uh... I guess validating. I don't know. Of course, some part of you doesn't want to play with uh, your toys with other people. But I mean, I'm very, very lucky in a lot of ways. And one of them is as a journalist who gets to write about culture, 
uh, it, it applies beyond culture as well, but like if there's a topic that interests me, there's a chance that I could maybe write about it in some capacity. And so once it became clear that Children of Men was kind of finally having its moment, um, I was able to pitch this article um, that happened to coincide with the 10th anniversary. And I was able to really get through a lot of thoughts that I had about it. So, you know, if it hadn't, and, you know, then I was able to put out an article that I am proud to say was, you know, received pretty well. So it was, it was a real net gain. Um, and, uh, you know, sorry, repeat the question. I'm sorry. I got, I went off on a tangent and forgot what uh, you were asking. No, me. you, I mean, no, you. Oh, playing you, with others. Yes. Sharing with other people. Yeah. You answered right, it. Right, I did. Okay. <laughs> it was, so it was nice that it happened because then I had an excuse to write about it. Yes. That's always uh, when you have an idea for something in your head and then you're like, oh, there's a news peg for it now. Right, it's brilliant. I, I know. I can, it, yeah. And the news peg, I, my, my old editor at Vulture where this was published, Neil, uh, Neil Janowitz, has this whole vendetta against anniversary pieces. It's just like the cheapest way to make something newsy or like give it a peg, you know, because just because it's like, OK, the earth went around the sun 10 times since this came out. Who gives a rip? But Anyway, go on. Yes. I am somewhat inclined to agree with your editor. Yeah, <laughs> I agree with Neil. <laughs> no, Neil's absolutely right. It, it's, but it's a good way to get cheap heat, you know? You can but, like, readers, readers, like, seem to be into anniversaries. So it's I like, know. oh, well, people, yeah. I, It works. That's what I'm saying. It's, it, people I, like big say. round numbers, yeah. Right, and it seems it's harmless enough, you know? Well, I mean, for a piece like this, you know, a, a film that touched on so many things that are still relevant and prevalent in conversation today, I could see it. You know, you can you can kind of benchmark, yeah. you know, where we are in certain areas of the world and certain hot topics yeah. against some of the things that have been addressed and, you know, put in the cinematic form in this movie and concept. Uh, it, it's similar to you know, what we've said years ago, for those of us who are old enough, about the Jetsons. And huh. someone actually wrote an article, I can't remember the year, but all of the things that were in the Jetsons cartoon from when it originally released, that are things that we really live with now. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's very similar in effect in terms of the subject matter and, and, and what goes on in the world and how it has a high degree of of relevance mm -hmm. although it's a creative piece that you know we won't spoil it for folks who are going to listen to the podcast and then go watch the movie after because we know some of you will <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's similar in that in that vein so my question to you having said that is is there anything that you watch or know of now be it in movies in music or anywhere else, you know, scripted TV, anything that has kind of touched on any of the concepts similarly? Sure, there's plenty of stuff. I mean, a lot of creative people uh, were inspired by Children of Men or at least um, through convergent evolution ended up coming to the same conclusions that Quaron and his collaborators had on Children of Men. So, you know, one that leapt to mind, I mean, this is a few years ago now, but um, one that leaps to mind was uh, uh, the uh, the movie Logan, the X-Men movie, um, James Mangold co-wrote and directed. Um, 
you know, that was a movie that I got the opportunity to interview Mangold, and he said that Children of Men was not a direct influence, but it's a it's a similar energy. There's this sense of sort of decline and a world that's not in the apocalypse exactly, but it's in a slow slide towards oblivion. Um, and it looks remarkably like our future or our, our present, but clearly has certain aspects that are in the future, but mostly insofar as it just feels like everybody's sort of tired and old, you know, and uh, this quest for something fresh and um, new and uh, and wonderful is at the core of both of those those movies. I'm trying to think, are there other things? I feel like there are things that pop up in my head every once in a while. Uh, the, the video game The Last of Us um, uh, was directly inspired by Children of Men in some aspects. The creators were on record as having talked about that. Um, I don't know much about the gaming world, but I know that that is a thing. Um, I was I was going to say the video game Death Stranding. Uh, oh yeah, I haven't. You know, I I downloaded that. I'm trying to become a gamer occasionally, so I have Death Stranding and I have The Last of Us, and I keep getting intimidated because video games are way too hard these days. Even Death, on the easy Death mode. Stranding has like has like a I just want to play for the story mode, so you can just play I it. I can just and like, do it. Okay, I feel like yeah, I'm. Bad I'm at also it. like I'm like I'm like halfway through it, and I've only died like once. So wow. I think, okay. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not. I'm on. I'm on. I'm on regular mode. So you okay. Know, I think, All right. Thank yeah. you for the vote of confidence. I'll give it another shot. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not very good at anything besides Mario Kart. So. <laughs> uh, but actually, that brings me to another one. One thing that um, came out before it, but uh, has a similar energy, uh, is uh, Half Life Two. Uh, that comparison point is uh, often yeah. made. Yeah, I can see that. There. In fact, when I was watching the. Um, Children of Men for the first time. Um, I was sitting next to my best friend, and he was a, a gamer, and I I was very familiar with Half Life Two despite not having watched it or played it, but I like watched early YouTube videos of it. And yeah, yeah. as we we're watching Children of Men, so I like knew the game even though I hadn't played it. I'd watched these proto Twitch things, and um, my friend leans over to me during the scene when the they're going into the refugee camp, and you can see the helicopters in the distance through the window of the the armored bus and he goes it's city 17 and like he wasn't saying it as a joke we were both like terrified that was just sort of as you know teenagers however old we were that was like our shorthand for saying this is kind of effed up you know sure yeah totally understand anyway sorry city 17 being from half-life 2 i should have specified i don't know if that made any sense to anybody <laughs> i got it I got you got it. it okay yes sorry yeah. i forgot i forgot anyway it does yes. full full clarification for the listeners Full clarification yes exactly so what do you think you know to 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 sum up our great conversation about this movie that of course is going to to spawn some rainy day viewing from some mm -hmm. folks what do you think is sort of the second coming of this kind of movie? What do you mean? What do you feel cinematically someone is going to put out that's going to give this same kind of effect to you? I wish I knew. That's that's the whole point is I don't know. I knew nothing about Children of Men walking in. So I have I, in order to actually replicate that feeling, I would have to be completely in the dark about what's coming. So speculating about it is useless. <laughs> That's awesome. 
I wish I could go into a movie totally blind about what to expect these days. I know, I know. It's really hard to avoid, but, you know, it happens every while. Um, Yeah, I can't think the last time I've seen something without any, without knowing anything. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, we can't even buy sneakers without knowing anything these days. No, no. Right, right. (laughs) It's all got to be out there. Actually, this is this is really off topic, but I'm going to share this story because it's whatever. Please uh, go ahead. When I actually went into um, Snake Eyes Blind, and we were that came out in like 1998, so I was like 15, and we it was it was R. So and this is like they had started carding for the movies for whatever reason, and eventually I purchased a fake ID in order to go see nice. R-rated movies, but. At this point, I had not. So we had to buy tickets for Simon Birch. Oh, um, yeah. Which is, and so there's a scene in this movie. And so, and Snake Eyes was like a little after it. So we just showed up late and the guy taking our tickets was like, oh, you're you're really late. And we're like, oh, yeah, we got held up, you know. And he's mm-hmm. like watching us. So, so we have to go into Simon Birch. And we go into Simon Birch and it's the scene where Simon swings the bat and hits a baseball and it kills Ashley Judd's character. <laughs> And so we just walked in not knowing what this movie, what this movie Simon Birch was. And we were just like, should we stay for this? Is this, is this <laughs> like, so, and we were like, no, no, no. So then we, we snuck out and what went into, went into Snake Eyes and saw there that great go. first shot and the rest of the, you know, crap that followed it. Yeah. Sometimes that's, that's how you win. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been awesome. Thanks guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so on. much. What's coming up? What can we expect to see? Well, my my first my first book, uh, True Believer: The Rise and Fall of Stan Lee, which is a biography of Marvel Comics legend Stan Lee, um, that comes out uh, on February sixteenth of twenty twenty one of this this upcoming year. Um, and if you want to pre order or learn more about it, you can go to abrahamreisman.com slash book. Uh, and it's uh, R-I-E, I before E except after C. So, uh, you know, you can, uh, you can find uh, my book there and you can find links to my articles, uh, my Twitter. It's a one-stop shop. Yep, and, and, and the link to this article will definitely be included. Oh, yeah, it's right there. <laughs> This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security, which can only be made through official offering documents that contain important information about risks, fees, and expenses. Securities on the Otis platform are offered through Dalmore Group LLC, Memra FINRA, and SIPC. Private investments are highly illiquid, speculative, and carry the risk of total loss.